new on Curiosity Street. Louis B. Mayer, Jack Warner, William Fox. Hollywood was the city of dreams, but the beginnings were a nightmare. You will never work in this town again! It's Titans, the rise of Hollywood. And Merapi, one of the world's most active volcanoes. Can we better predict its next deadly eruption? A new expedition hunts for life-saving answers on exploring the volcano. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving in New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet to make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. This is Pamela Clark, director of the show and of New Heights Educational Group. Um, Today, we are going to be sharing updates about educational happenings around the nation. So we'll jump right into it and start covering some of the news. Now, the, the first thing I'm gonna share here is from the 74million.org and it's uh, titled, Wave of teacher time off forces districts short on subs to cancel schools. The article is by Asher Lear Small and it was published November 10th. With schools across the country short on substitute teachers, staff taking additional days off around the holidays are forcing some districts to cancel classes. Seattle Public Schools announced that its 52,000 students would have no school Friday due to large shares of staff making Veterans Day into a four-day weekend. And in Montgomery County, Maryland, the Board of Education voted this week to make a scheduled half day before Thanksgiving a vacation day for the district's 165,000 students because there are too few subs to fill in for the large number of educators taking off before the break. In an even more extreme case, Nuaiego Public Schools in West Michigan made a last minute call to shutter their doors from November 9th through November 15th due to high shares of staff out for COVID-19 and other illnesses and for personal reasons. The district announced Monday, quote, we are unable to sufficiently staff our buildings to meet the needs of our students. Sub shortages are not unique to NPS 
And there is a challenge that we, as well as many other districts, are facing. The district wrote in a November 9th unsigned letter to families. In Seattle, more than 600 educators requested substitute teachers for the day after Veterans Day, the district said. Quote, we are aware of a larger than normal number of Seattle public school staff taking leave on Friday and do not believe that we have adequate personal or personnel to open schools. The district explained in an email sent to parents on Tuesday, just three days before the shutdown. In Montgomery County, the sudden change to the Thanksgiving holiday prompted an outrage from some parents. To give families 13 days of notice, have you no consideration for parents in healthcare, parents who are essential workers, parents who basically count on the school schedule that you publish. That was a quote by parent, Dr. Jennifer Reisman, as she told a local news station, quote, you basically told us that you don't care about us. The closures further compound the disruptions that schools have weathered over the past 20 months of the pandemic exacerbating the academic, social, and emotional challenges for many students. Quote, now is the time to double down and hopefully get students even more access to even more great instruction. Not less, says Tequila Brownie, executive vice president of the New Teacher Project, told the 74. With dwindling substitute teacher reserves in many school systems nationwide, Daniel Dominique, executive director of the School Superintendents Association, said there's little district leaders can do when educators request leave around the holidays. Quote, these are days that teachers can take, he told the 74. Remember, the site is the 74million.org. Explaining the right to use paid time off, known as PTO, is, is uh, stipulated in many educator contracts. Quote, Ordinary, ordinarily, school districts would rely on substitutes to cover for teachers. The problem is you can't find substitutes. Closures are not what superintendents want. The AASA leader continued, quote, they want to get the kids back to school. They're doing everything they can with the re resources that they have to mitigate the situation. The pandemic, however, has shown the school systems can get creative, Brownie pointed out. School districts tap central office staff to help out with remote learning. She wonders whether it, would, it could have been possible to replicate those solutions to avoid school closures this time around. Quote, the most dis dismal option is to shutter the doors, said the education equity expert. In Montgomery County, the scheduling change comes on the heels of weeks of educator frustration and burnout. Two weeks ago, teachers held a car rally to protest staffing shortages that they said were exhausted and stressing out employees. 
signs, taped and vehicle windows, laminated skeleton crews, and educators drowning in their workload. The Washington Post reported, during a press conference to, on Tuesday, union president Jennifer Martin warned of a great resignation in Maryland's largest district of Montgomery County. And if Montgomery County does not improve conditions for its teachers, the school system currently has hundreds of staff vacancies, including 161 teaching positions, according to a local report. We hope you are able to take some time to rest and recharge during the extended Thanksgiving break, said a November 9th announcement to, announcement to families and teachers signed Montgomery County Public Schools. Many school systems across the country have tried to preempt such situations by scheduling extra time for staff and students to recharge. Over a dozen districts, including Alexandria, Virginia and Howard County, Maryland, recently announced days off or shortened schedules to fight burnout and provide mental health breaks for educators, according to a recent report from Burbio, a data service that has tracked school calendars throughout the pandemic. Districts announcements generally did not mention substitute teacher shortages, though it's possible the desire to avoid needing more coverage for teachers than they could supply also play into the calculus for some school administrators. Policies vary on whether days off will have to be made up later in the school year. Most states require that schools be in session 180 days a year. A local news outlet reported that Montgomery County in 2021-2022 school calendar had 182 days built in so the additional days day off would not be affected. The new, uh, the new A Go public schools used up to five, up five of its snow days in the current closure reported Michigan Live. The disruptions planned and unplanned are yet another byproduct of the pandemic, said Dominic. He, he's hopeful that newly authorized vaccines for younger children will help make the situation more normal by the spring. <laughs> okay. But in the meantime, he acknowledged that scheduling changes may frustrate many families. Working families very much are dependent on having their children in school, he said. What are your thoughts on this article? Leave a comment. Uh, let us know what you think of this situation. Okay, another article that I came across in justthenews.com. Uh, this was published. I'm looking for a date. Bear with me. The title of the article is School Board Reinstates Educators Fired for Proposing Male-Only, Female-Only Bathrooms. Yes, you heard that right. The lo their lawsuit continues against allegedly chilling district policies and lawyers says he doesn't know, doesn't know conditions of their reinstatement. So this was shared also on November 10, 2021. Um, and it says Oregon's 
Oregon's Grant Pass School District voted to reinstate two educators this week after terminating them this summer for starting a campaign to keep biological male and females in their own school restrooms and locker rooms. Assistant Principal Rachel Damanino, I'm sorry, Damanino, or Damanino, something like that, I'm sorry, and science teacher Katie Medart also advocated making it optional for school employees to use their students' preferred gender pronouns as part of their I Resolve campaign, but did not identify their school district's affiliations. It was a close vote at a Tuesday evening meeting, according to the Mail Tribune. The board voted 43 to overturn Superintendent Kirk Kolb's recommendation to fire them. It has been a very difficult seven months on paid administrative leave, the duo said in a prepared settlement. We are grateful for the courage of the majority of the board members that chose to reinstate us, but the district must make it safe for the community to express themselves without fear of retaliation or cancellation. The district told the newspaper that personnel confidentially prevented it from sharing the details of reinstatement but implied that it hadn't changed any policies. The Grants Pass School District 7 will continue to follow all state and federal laws. We have school board policies in place to support safe environments for students and staff, and we will continue protecting the well-being of everyone in our schools, it said. The Pacific Justice Institute is representing Damanio and MedArt in their ongoing First Amendment retaliation lawsuit against the district. It filed an amended complaint in September after U.S. District Judge Mark Clark refused to issue a temporary restraining order. Staff attorney Ray Hake thanked board member Cliff Coleman for reversing his summer vote this week, swinging the majority, but said the public interest law firm did not or didn't know the terms of their reinstatement. The district's retaliation against employees for speaking on matters of public concern made clear that, in quote, any employee who dares anger the woke mob will be sacrificed on the altar of political correctness, he said. The district still has policies in place that could potentially chill the, their speech in the future and it owes them damages for putting them, quote, through an emotional ringer the past seven months, Hake said. Judge Clark approved a protective order on Monday to shield documents and information relating to student records protected by the Federal Education Rights and Privacy Act, or FERPA, and medical and counseling records, dur records during litigation. Okay, so, um, one second here. Okay, also, uh, another article I wanted to share with you is also from just 
in or I'm sorry, justthenews.com. This this report comes from South Carolina. This was published actually on November 11th. And it says South Carolina governor calls for review to prevent pornographic materials in school libraries. Did you hear that? Red flag. South Carolina Governor Henry McMaster is calling for a review of materials of public school libraries after a book in the library at Fort Hill or Fort Mill, excuse me, high school was found to have cartoon style explicit imagery. According to Department of Education Chief Communications Officer Brian Brown, McMaster sent a letter to the Department of Education Secretary Molly Spearman asking for a review of gender queer or a memoir by Maya Kobab. Sorry if I'm saying that name wrong. The book has been removed from circulation in two high school media centers and through our online catalog while the review process is completed, said Fort Mill Chief Communications Officer Joe Burke. While the letter reinforces the Fort Mill School District the governor is requesting a statewide investigation and is not specifically targeting the district. Burke said that the district received a complaint about the book and the review process has begun. Brown said that the book, this is a quote, books located in the library's immediate centers are not funded by and do not go through state instructional materials process. They are selected by local and district officials. Well, isn't that a scary thought? Who in their right mind would choose this type of material for their school library? Brown said that the superintendents throughout the state were notified last week to review their library for genderqueer, a memoir, and contacted Fort Mill superintendent directly to ask for the book to be removed. Quote, this is a fitting time for each district to review their own purchase text including those in the classrooms, libraries, media centers to ensure they are age and content appropriate. The Department of Education told districts in a memo, quote, schools and districts should not rely solely on publishers vetting. We must work alongside students, families and educators for this process to be successful. Brown said that his district has its own policy for review and purchase of library materials, but that in this instance, the district failed to vet the book properly. Quote, if school personnel had performed even a cursory review in this particular instance, it would have revealed the book contained sexual explicit and pornographic depictions, which each meet or exceed the statutory definition of obscenity, McMaster said. Further quoting, thus I am concerned that further examination may identify additional instances in which inappropriate materials have been introduced into our state public schools. Brown said that the Department of Education has begun a review of the district's policies on locally purchased texts and its plans to recommend improvements to those policies. The governor said that he notified the state law enforcement division 
so that it could investigate if any state laws were broken. The governor asked the state Department of Education to create a statewide standards for review of library materials to prevent this from happening in the future. Quote, for sexually explicit materials of this nature to have ever introduced or allowed in South Carolina schools, it is obvious that there is or either a lack of or a complete breakdown in any existing oversight process or the absence of appropriate screening standards, McMaster said. Therefore, I respectfully request the Department of Education promptly investigate this matter on a statewide basis and identify whether any systematic policy or procedural deficiencies exist at the state or local levels or both. What do you think they'll find? Hmm. Who's behind all of this? We're going to take a quick commercial break as you ponder that question, and we'll be right back. Hello, if you join the New Mike Show on entertainment or donate to our organization, please visit www.newmikeeducation.org. While you're there, check out our online store at Hello and welcome back. It's Pamela Clark, and we're talking about education news around the nation. So, uh, the next thing I want to share with you is also from Just the News, and this article that I found was titled 26 State School Board Associations Distance from National Group that Liken Parents to Terrorists. The mass exodus came after a national group sent, letter, sent a letter to, Je to President Joe Biden asking for federal intervention to investigate parents who protest at local school board meetings. More than half of more than half of state school board associations have distanced themselves from the National Association after it sent a letter to the president. Of the 26 that had had the letter sent, the, the 11 have discontinued their membership with the National School Board Association, the NSBA, after Kentucky did so Wednesday. In the September 29th letter, the NSBA likened parents protesting the teaching of critical race theory, listen to this, mask mandates and other local school decisions to domestic terrorists and social federal help, and sought federal help. The NSBA is a national association that state school board associations are members and members pay dues to. In response to the NSBA's letter, the U.S. Justice Department and Merrick Garland instructed the FBI to monitor and investigate parents protesting at local school board meetings. Parents Defending Education emailed 47 state school board associations for comment on the NSBA's September 29th letter. 
Hawaii and Washington DC associations are not NSBA members and Virginia and Louisiana had already made public statements by the time TDE sent the letter. TDE asked the associations to confirm or deny if they were in agreement with the NSBA's position to state how they define intimidation, harassment, and threat, and if they plan on reporting individuals in their states to the Department of Justice. It also published their responses online. As of Wednesday, 26 states had, have distanced themselves from the NSBA's letter, including Alabama, Arkansas, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire, New Jersey, North Carolina, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Among them, 11 states have taken action by withdrawing their membership. Participation or dues from NSBA, Alabama, Florida, Louisiana, Kentucky, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire, Ohio, Pennsylvania, South Carolina, and Wisconsin. Several states did not respond to PDE's letter at all, including Alaska, Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, Nevada, New Mexico, New York, Oklahoma, Oregon, Rhode Island, South Dakota, Utah, Vermont, Washington, and West Virginia. California replied by stating that it declined to respond to the questions. Quote, we believe the letter from the NSBA leadership demonstrated how to touch the National Association, see, I'm sorry, demonstrated how out of touch the National Association is with concerns of local school boards and the principle of local control. Ohio Association said, because of that, OSBA no longer sees the value of continued NSBA membership. Pennsylvania's association said NSBA's letter saying comparing upset parents to domestic terrorists was the final straw, quote, after the organization had already been questioning the value of keeping its NSBA membership. It added that the NSBA had fomented more disputes and cast partisanship on our work on behalf of school directors when we seek to find common ground and support all school directors in their work, no matter their politics. The New Hampshire School Boards Association said it plans on withdrawing its membership, but has yet to yet to do that. So officially, or officially. So the Montana, the Montana School Board Association will formally leave the NSBA in July of 2022, as it already renewed its membership in July of this year. Alabama withheld its dues to NSBA and plans to vote on whether to leave in December. Florida did not submit dues to NSBA and expressed its opposition to NSBA's position. And Kentucky Association leadership is currently evaluating the benefits of continued membership in the NSBA. Mississippi says it doesn't support the NSBA's action and will meet to address the situation.
many of the associations that responded to parents defending education said they had not been asked or informed by NSBA before it sent the letter. In fact, the letter was sent without their knowledge or input from the state association it is supposed to represent. So Delaware's association said the NSBA's letter is a clear overreach and violates the fundamental principle of local authority upon which the Delaware public education system is founded and structured. Idaho's association said, quote, had we had we been asked, we would have readily pointed out that the mischaracterization of parents and patrons in our communities as domestic terrorists who merited federal, federal investigation. We want parents and patrons engaged in our public schools. We have thought that for years. Illinois Association said this is not the first disagreement that the IASB has had with NSBA. Prior to this incident, the IASB Board of Directors was evaluating its relationship with NSBA and the IASB previously expressed concerns to NSBA about problems related to governance, transparency, and financial oversight. The IASB suspended payment of dues to the NSBA for 2021 2022 school year and sought to address these concerns through changes to the governance, structure, the governance structure of the National Association. The IASB disagrees with the NSB's decision to request federal intervention and decision by the NSBA leadership to tie the request to claims of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. New Jersey's association said it doesn't endorse the letter and NSBA's position doesn't reflect the beliefs and policies of the NJSBA. It said it has expressed its disapproval of the letter and strongly supports the ability of parents and citizens to voice their opinions at board meetings, which is a fundamental principle of our democracy. So what do you think of that article? Um, what do you think of them doing doing these things? What do you think of the NSBA? That's really loaded question, isn't it? Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels. Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Tastemade for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. Now, originally how that came through to me, and, and if you're a homeschooler, you may want to look up great homeschool conventions. 
we have a lot of really great articles, um, you know, related to what's happening in the news as well. There, um, Scottsdale school board member publicized parents' social security numbers, divorce proceedings, financial records, in an effort to track outspoken parents. Did you hear that? Scottsdale, Scottsdale, Arizona. Okay, we're gonna take another really quick commercial break and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest growing video-based, self-paced, teacher-supported, fully accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at sehs.co. Hello, welcome back. This is Pamela Clark. You're listening to the New Heights Show on Education. The next article I want to share with you is from the dailywire.com. And um, I don't know if you remember seeing or hearing the videos. Uh, recordings of a Virginia mother who exposed the pornographic reading material in curriculum um, and someone had recorded her and posted it and um, I guess as of November 9th uh, this article from Ash Chow of the Daily Wire reports that that parent is barred now from entering the high school library you hear that the, the thing that she exposed, has that been removed? I don't know, has it? But she is barred from the library. The Washington Examiner reported that Stacy Langton was told by Fairfax High School acting principal, Maureen Keek, last week that she could, know, could not enter the school's library. Langton had entered the library earlier that week with her son to check out a book. Langton told the examiner that Keck called her to let her know that she was not allowed to enter the library. Langton questioned the principal, who then told her she was told her this was school policy that applied to all parents. Hmm. Ever heard of Pinocchio? I, I think his nose is growing. Keck told me that no parents are allowed into the library. Langton told the outlet, so I asked her to send me the specific policy so I could see it for myself. Langton also told the examiner that the school librarian made no mention of such a policy when she went with her son to check out a book earlier in the week. Langton said the librarian even helped them find the book they needed. It was the next day when Keck called her. Quote, in response to Langton's request to see the policy, Keck sent her a school policy that was reviewed by the Washington Examiner and makes no mention of restricting parent access to the library, the examiner reported. The policy makes no mention of restricting visitor access to parts of the campus anywhere, providing all visitors sign in at the front entrance and obtain a visitor's pass. Langton said that while she signed in, the machine that provides visitor passes was out of order and had been for weeks. 
As the Daily Wire previously reported, Langton made national news when she read from several books available to students that included graphic depictions of sex, of sex and pedophilia. She read aloud one section from the book called The Lawn Boy. And I'm not going to go over what she said, but again, I, I have a feeling many of you did hear it. Langton was scolded at the school board meeting where she spoke because there were children present. Did, did you just hear that? She was scolded because children were present. Hmm. Days after Langton read from the books, they were pulled from the shelves. So they have been pulled from the shelves. Whoop a doo! Scary, <laughs> isn't it? Okay, so um, another one I wanted to share with you. So much happening all the time. Okay, um, this is kind of some footnotes and some things from an email uh, that FRC Action sent out. And the title of their email was Education Not Indoctrination. It was sent out on November 11th. And um, it just had some interesting facts I wanted to share in it, share with you. Uh, when public schools were forced to go virtual, many parents got a front row seat to the radical, anti-faith, anti-family, anti-American indoctrination being force-fed to children. From gender, identity, ideology to critical race theory. By the way, we're going to be doing a show on critical race theory really soon. Um, so check back for that. Um, anyway, so in the revisionist 1619 project branding, America is systematically racist from its founding until today. Parents realized that the local public schools were filling their children's minds with lies, hatred, and division. And these parents are horrified. Now a nationwide surge of outraged parents is ready and willing to fight this radical indoctrination of their children. We saw this most recently in Virginia elections where parents overwhelmingly voted and conservative leadership that promised to preserve their right to decide how their children should be educated. And it, it has that, and today's most recent or critical front lines of that battle are local, especially the nation's 13,800 public school districts. FRC Action is offering urgently needed expertise, training, and so forth to these families, supposedly. I'm not really familiar that much with FRC Action. Um, it's just another source of information that I have, and you can kind of learn more about them yourself. Um, they did also report that middle school students in Rockingham County, North Carolina, were forced to stand up in class and apologize to their non-white classmates for the, their privilege. Did you hear that? What do you think of that? A lightning strike. A head teacher in Manhattan was caught on tape acknowledging that 
His school's curriculum teaches white students that they're inherently evil and saying we're demonizing white people for being born. Tanner Cross, an elementary school teacher in Leesburg, Virginia, was suspended after stating at a school board meeting that he would not affirm the gender identities as the students are contrary to their biological sex, calling it lying, a psychological abuse and violation of his religious liberty. MMO from Orange County, California, Department of Education, mandates that parents who disagree with the instructional materials related to gender, gender identity, gender expression, and sexual orientation may not excuse their children from this instruction. If you suspect that these are isolated instances, but rather part of an orchestrated nationwide effort at childhood indoctrination, do you think it is? What are your thoughts on all of this? Also, a report from ASDD, Smart Brief, which is a news for the education profession. It comes in an email as well to New Heights. And um, some of the headlines that they're covering include North Carolina that's adopting a science-based reading approach. Um, and in one district began teaching the science of reading. 59% of elementary students began reading at grade level up from 52% from before the change. Now, I don't know anything really about the science-based science-based of reading, what they're, what they're referring to. Um, but reading is not rocket science. I mean, public school fails at teaching people to read in general to a large extent. Um, and sometimes they blame race or family life or whatever on it, but it's really not that difficult uh, in our opinion here at New Heights, you know, students need phonics. They need to learn not just how to memorize, but, you know, how to learn words and through, through phonics. So um, I'm a little skeptical about that, but I don't know enough about it really to, to say if it's a good thing, but if they're seeing an incline and students being able to read, then I would say that's a good thing. Um, also, I re did report earlier in the show about schools scheduling due to staffing shortages, and, and that's happening other places, um, and not just in the place that I had mentioned. Uh, another interesting um, note to be had is technology in the classroom that students in the APAX officer program at Roanoke Jackson Technical Center in West Virginia are playing the roles of police officer and dispatcher and virtual reality simulation. Teaching in the program is former Roanoke County Sheriff Todd Cole, 
He says students are learning how to de-escalate incidents while participating in assimilations as well as when they review where they performed well and where improvement is needed. And that the full story can be found in the Jackson newspaper. Sorry, bear with me for a moment. APnews.com um, reported on November 10th that uh, they had a strong, in quotation, start to kids vaccine campaign, but challenges loom. This article is by Zeke Miller and Mikey Stobe. Washington, the campaign to vaccinate elementary school age children in the US is off to a strong start. Health officials said Wednesday, but experts say there are signs that it will be difficult to sustain the initial momentum. About 900,000 kids aged 5 to 11 have received their first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine in the first week of eligibility. The White House said providing the first glimpse at the pace of the school age vaccination campaign. We're off to a st very strong start. And that was a quote from the White House COVID-19 coordinator, Jeff Zint, was being, during a briefing from reporters. Final clear, clearance uh, for the shots was granted by federal regulation, regulators on November 2nd with the first dose to kids beginning in some locations the following day. The estimated increase in vaccinations is in elementary school aged children appears similar to the jump scene in May when adolescents aged 12 to 15 become eligible for shots. Now nearly 20,000 pharmacies, clinics, and physicians offices are offering the doses to younger kids. And the Biden administration estimates that by the end of Wednesday, more than 900,000 of the kids dosages will be given. On top of that, about 700,000 first shot appointments are scheduled for the coming days. About 28 million five to 11 year olds are now eligible for the low dose Pfizer vaccine. Kids who get the first two shots by the end of next week will be fully vaccinated by Christmas. The administration is encouraging schools to host vaccine clinics on site to make it even easier for kids to get shots. The White House is also asking schools to share information from trusted messengers like doctors and public health officials to combat misinformation around the vaccine. Get ready for the smartest bundle in streaming. Six streaming services for the intellectually curious. Featuring CuriosityStream with the best collection of documentary films and TV shows. Psalm TV and great stories from the world of wine. Tastemade for the fun side of food and travel. Topic with the best thrillers and crime stories. And so much more. From nature to history, technology to food, mystery to adventure. Get six streaming services for one low price. And less than $6 a month, it's the best deal in streaming. Learn more and sign up now at smartbundle.com. New on Curiosity Stream. This bear's walking right at me. We'll see if he wants trouble or not. Follow filmmaker Casey Anderson as he gets an unprecedented face-to-face -face look at Alaska's fiercest carnivores on the Tracker's Diary, Bears of Katmai. 
Plus, why is a tiny island in the Pacific one of America's most crucial outposts? Discover the truth behind this mysterious trans-Pacific stopover on Extremity's Wake Island. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. The initial surge in demand for vaccinations was expected from parents who have been waiting for the chance to protect their younger children, especially since before the holidays. About 3% newly eligible children in the U.S. got first shots in the first week at the rate of vaccinations and varied widely around the country as it has for adult vaccines. California Health and Human Services Secretary, Dr. Mark Golly, said Wednesday that more than 110,000 Californians aged 5 to 10 received the first coronavirus shot 9% of the kids that age in the state. We are starting to see this pickup and I'm really encouraged about what this means for our state, Dolly said. On the other end of the spectrum, Idaho reported that 2,257 first shots or 1.3% of the newly eligible kids there. In West Virginia, Cable, Cable County Highland or high demand led local health officials to start setting up vaccination clinics in all counties' public middle schools. A spokeswoman for the county health department said there were some lines for vaccines in the first few days after the doses were approved for the 5 to 11-year-olds, but that things have slowed since then. Some experts say that nationally demand could also begin to recede. They note pooling data suggests only a fraction of parents have planned to get their kids shots immediately, and they suspect the trend will play out like it did earlier this year when kids 12 to 15 were first able to get shots. And the first week after the vaccine for that age group were authorized in May, the number of adolescents getting a first shot jumped by roughly 900,000. According to an American Academy of Pediatrics review of federal data, the next week it rose even further to 1.6 million. There was an initial burst, said Shannon Stokely of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, but then the number dropped steadily for months, interrupted only briefly in early August as the Delta variant surged and parents prepared to send their kids back to school. Adolescent vaccinations have since flagged considerably. So just 32,000 getting their first shots last week and only about half of adolescents aged 12 to 17 are fully vaccinated compared to 70% of adults. It is unlikely that vaccination rates in young kids will be as high as what's seen in adults or even in adolescents, some experts say, unless they are acquired for school. Part of the reason is that the adults are far more likely than children to suffer serious illness or die from COVID-19, they noted. Parents may have the perception it may not be as serious in young people or they don't transmit it, said Stokely, an acting deputy director, CDC's Immunization Services Division. But more than 2 million COVID cases have been reported in the U.S in children ages 5 to 11 since the pandemic started, including 66 deaths over the past year, according to the CDC data. 
we're going to have a lot of work to do and to communicate with parents about why it's important to get the kids vaccinated, she said. <clears throat> Anyways, if you want to read more of that article, you can. That's pretty much the gist of it. Um, I, I'm not for the mandates. I'm not for the, these are not vaccines that they're giving these kids. Um, the miscommunication is from their end, not from people that have studied about this. And there's more doctors, more medical staff that are against these mandates than that are for them. So that should make you think. And also something else I kind of wanted to share with you is that um, I have a family member that lives in um, Wisconsin. And when we talk, um, her news is quite a bit different than our news. And she, she has asked me more than once, you know, don't you hear about these stories where you're at? And I said, no. So what stories am I talking about? Well, I was speaking with this family member this week and they had a friend that died of, she believes, the vaccine. She was an older woman and um, she had, we don't know how long, well, we know she had the shot in April, but by June, she was complaining to my family member. She was very tired and um, she was not able to breathe. Now she did have a history of bronchitis and the COVID-19, whether you get the vaccination or you get COVID-19, it does seem to target the weakest parts of the human body and that specific person. So wherever their problem areas are, that's where it goes. So that, and that, the story kind of backs it up as well. So she was complaining not being able to breathe. She couldn't walk her dogs any longer. And each month she just got, you know, sicker and sicker. Um, she, you know, how we always kind of rationalize in our minds, you know, well, what if it's this? What if it's that? What if, you know, she, she rationalized because there was a lot of smoke coming from fires from, from Canada. And then um, also the history of bronchitis and she did have a hip replacement. Then she went to the doctor and they said it was bursitis. And, um, but they kind of rolled out the other thing. Um, now, when my family member went to her home and um, had to call an ambulance, she'd had, she had a fever when she arrived, hair soaked to her, hair soaked and sticking, you know, to her head. Um, my family member called the ambulance. They went to the hospital. They hooked up the ventilator, and that's pretty much it. Um, two weeks later, she was gone. Um, my family member did try to talk to the doctors there about it possibly being COVID-related from these shots because she did receive two shots in April. They would not even discuss it with her in any way. Um, they marked on the um, death certificate that it was septic shock from pneumonia. And they pretty much just shut her down. They didn't, they didn't want to talk about it. They did run multiple COVID tests on her. 
and they did come back negative. Um, but then as we were talking about that, she was talking about other cases. She says they hear about it all the time. Like, and these are like family members, like friends of hers and their family members and, and people that she knows that are going in for these shots and things are happening to these people. So there was another person that she heard about again, from a meet, an immediate contact to her, that um, was, she was a marathon runner, very fit and very athletic. And um, she had the shot and within a week or two, she was paralyzed all over her body. She's currently paralyzed. So, but there was nothing wrong with her before the shots. And then another story um, that again, she knows these are all real because she knows all of these people. Um, she's a friend of this young girl's mom that was 23 years of age, the girl's 23. And um, the girl, the young girl didn't wanna take the shot. The mom didn't really want her to take the shot either, but her uncle was a doctor and um, he talked her into it. He talked the 23-year-old into it. And within two weeks of the girl getting her shot, she was paralyzed. He came, he didn't live in, in Wisconsin, this uncle, but he came back to try to get help and stuff like that. But it was too late. The shot had done its damage. Um, there was another doctor in Wisconsin that took the shot and he got sicker and sicker. He could no longer do surgeries anymore, stand for very long. And I think he's still dealing with it from my understanding. But she says, this is all the time. Um, they live in a small community and most people get their vaccines early. And this is what's happening all the time. It's common word of mouth there and including Warsaw. You, you can check this out yourself. Do you have any family in Wisconsin? You may wanna look, at, look into it, right? Okay, we're gonna take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Hello, welcome back. This is Pamela Clark, and we're discussing topics of education happening around the U.S. Um, we're going to be finishing up this episode. We're about out of time. Um, I did want to bring attention to some of the work that Hillsdale College is doing. Fantastic. They are doing a lot of um, courses on the Constitution 
and they're coming out with a brand new course. Uh, it's set to be released on the 16th, and um, it will be shared um, via our website, the on our learning annex at school.newheightseducation.org. Uh, you do have to have a membership to see it and have access to this free course through our site, but I am considering um, starting to share some of these um, on our social media accounts because it's so exciting, you know, the things that they're doing and what they're coming out with. Um, i trying to find you the title of the course. It is titled, one second, sorry. It's not the one I was looking for. Okay, so still looking, sorry. Thanks for your patience. Oh, it's the American Citizenship and its Decline. Comes out to be released November 16th, and it is going to be free to enroll in. And again, Hillsdale College is putting that out. They have some really great um, free courses through our site and through their site, of course, as well. And then I invite you as well to look up Kathy Woodring's show here on our radio. Um, in our radio network and listen to her American history-based shows as well. She's done a fantastic job covering American history and why it's not a racist history. So anyways, I really appreciate you listening to our show. I hope this helps keep you informed and updated on the happenings in the world of education that others aren't covering. And I invite any homeschooler um, or public school family that are um, fighting these mandates to, to reach out to me by email, newheightseducation at yahoo.com or call me at 419-786-0247. I'd love to have you on our show. And um, we hope that you take us up on it. Have a great night and thank you for your time. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org, for monthly announcements and other happenings.